This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. This week, in our 269th episode, we have a bunch of news, including a pair of new sauropods. Ooh. Yeah, they're basically from opposite sides of the Earth. Nice. Although they were less opposite back then. And we have some dinosaur attractions. We also have Dinosaur of the Day, Hypsabima, and our fun fact. But before we get into all of that, we always thank our patrons for helping us to create the podcast and keep going every week for going on over five years now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is sort of an anniversary of sorts. Yeah. I mean, it was right around this time when we released our first episode back in 2015. Can't believe it's already 2020. Half a decade. (laughs) Pretty good. Yeah. And there should be less episodes, except in the beginning, we were doing two a week before switching to weekly. I think we were very inconsistent. Sometimes it was three. Oh, man. But for this episode, we want to specifically thank some of our patrons at the Ankylosaurus level and above. And this week, we'd like to thank Chris, Nicholas, Trent Carbajal, Stefan, Taya, Stego Sophie, Ayumi, Paula Canthus, Jackson Crawford, Sorian Brandy, Mayu, Dino Bo, Mellow Stego, Worker Source, Kaylin, and Duncan Source. And Duncan Source just joined. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Notice a lot of cool dinosaur names in here. Yeah, this is one of the more dinosaur heavy lists. <laughs> yeah, I noticed it last week too, but this one, yeah, seemed to be more. <laughs> it's good. It is. It's a good trend. I like it. So if you want to you know, add to this trend, then <laughs> you can check out our page at patreon.com slash I know dino. And we offer all kinds of rewards like our discord server and access to premium content, all kinds of things. So jumping into the news, we're continuing our saga of trying to catch up from the dinosaurs that were named in 2019 that <laughs> either were named in December and it was just too hard to get them in by the end of the year or were basically published nowhere other than the one journal where they officially named it and yeah just totally slipped through the cracks so we have a pair of new sauropods like i mentioned earlier the first one was written by rafael matos lindoso and others and published in cretaceous research and it's named itapoasaurus it's from northeastern brazil and the full name is itapoasaurus cajapioensis and Atapoasaurus is from the Atapoa Beach, where it was found. And Cajapioensis is from the Cajapio municipality. So 
it's one of those place name <laughs> lizard place name ensis dinosaurs. It's from the Sao Luis Basin in the Maranhao state. And I don't think we've ever talked about that state before. It's not quite in the Amazon, but it's sort of near it. So it's still on the northern end of Brazil, but it's quite a bit farther east than where the Amazon River hits. Must be hard to excavate then. Yes. There's a whole situation that they went through <laughs> trying to excavate this since it was on a beach. It was also really close to the equator. So it was really hot and humid, it looks like. Although it wasn't quite in the Amazon, I think they get about 90 inches or 2.3 meters of rain a year. Wow. Yeah, all the pictures I saw of the city, like the buildings were just like covered in like slime <laughs> from oh. the rain. It looks like a very wet place to live. I thought you were going to say gorgeous vegetation, but <laughs> slime, okay. You know, slime molds. People are excited about these things. There are people that study them, and moss and lichen and whatnot. True. The tropics are a good place for that stuff. So the Itapoa Beach is in an intertidal area. So as Sabrina was saying, excavating it was really hard. The way the researchers put it was, quote, it was necessary to develop a stabilization technique under flood conditions using wire splints and impermeable polyurethane foam before and after the total removal of each bony element, which took more which took more than one daily tide cycle, end quote. So it was just constant tides. You could see they have a picture where it shows the wires sort of fencing in the area that they were protecting from the tide. And it was covered in like seaweed, the wire was. But then I guess they put up wood along that and then an impermeable membrane to kind of dam out this one little area. It's quite the defense. Yeah, it sounded really cumbersome. And they also said, quote, considering the tidal cycles and the stabilization technique, the effective working time was reduced to less than four hours per day, end quote. So they were spending most of their time just protecting the dig site from water rather than actually getting a chance to get the bones out of the ground. Must have taken a while to dig then. Yeah, I'm not sure how many days they spent there. I don't think they specified. But at the end, their holotype ended up with five and a half vertebrae. So it's something. <laughs> and the paratype had some more vertebrae pieces and a partial ischium, which is part of the hips. So in total, they got maybe like 10 to 12 vertebrae and then a little piece of the hips. Not really a great find in terms of learning a lot more about the species. It's really more useful for learning about the distribution of dinosaurs. But before I get into that, I should specify a little bit about the size of it. They didn't speculate at the overall length or weight since all they found was vertebrae, but if you want sort of a general feel for how big the bones were, the disc part of the vertebrae, or what they call a centrum, was about 12 centimeters or 5 inches in diameter, so kind of medium-sized, I would say, for a sauropod. And then if you include the neural spines sticking out, none of them were complete, but the longest one was about 40 centimeters or about 1 foot 4 inches tall. It's pretty good. Yeah. It definitely wasn't a small dinosaur, but I don't think it was one of the biggest. Well, sauropods are never small dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, rarely. <laughs> Once in a blue moon. When you find the hatchlings. Yeah, pretty much. There were a couple of island dwarfs in the mix, but for the most part, they are massive. Etapoasaurus is from the Cenomanian, which is a first for a rabaki sword in northern Brazil. Kind of a specific <laughs> criteria there. But there are a lot of dinosaurs found in South America, so you have to be kind of specific about your firsts. More generally, it's the best preserved diplodocoid from the Cenomanian. 
in that area too. And the Cenomanian is the period from about 94 to 100 million years ago. So we're talking about sort of the middle of the Cretaceous. Phylogenetically, they think that Etopoosaurus was a close relative to Nigerosaurus. And back in the early Cretaceous, Sao Luis would have been really close to Nigeria, only a couple of hundred miles away. So kind of makes sense that it would be so closely related. Although it looks like if you line up South America and Africa just so, the way the puzzle pieces fit together, Sao Luis was probably a little bit closer to Ghana. <laughs> In case you're curious, <laughs> I had to figure it out just because I was wondering. Etopoosaurus is possibly a closer relative to Demondosaurus than it is to Nigerosaurus. And Demondosaurus is a Spanish diplodocoid, so obviously. It's from Spain. <laughs> Not Spanish, like just the name Spanish, the actual origin. Fortunately, with Demondosaurus, we have part of its jaw, so we can see a little bit about its skull. And the same with Nigerosaurus. So between those two, you'd think we would know exactly what its head looks like. But Demondosaurus and Nigerosaurus have very different skulls. So Nigerosaurus has that famous sort of vacuum-shaped head with the front row of teeth that are like totally flat. Oh yeah, that's very distinct. Yeah, but Demondosaurus doesn't. The part of the jaw that we have is curved normally, just like you'd see in most sauropods. So I, I was pretty curious to see which way they thought that Etopoosaurus would go. And in their recreation, because they include some paleo art in the paper, they gave it more of the normal sauropod mouth, not the flat Nigerosaurus type. I think when in doubt, that's what happens. Yeah, that's probably why they did it. But weirdly, in their phylogenetics, they erected a new group called Nigerosaurines. I think it's new, at least, because adding this one in, there's only three members in it. <laughs> so it's weird because it's named after Nigerosaurus with that unique mouth, but the other two don't have it. So it's kind of questionable to me how that'll shake out over time, because we do know of other dinosaurs that have that short sort of mouth on them. It also means that these Nigerosaurines probably traveled between Europe, West Africa, and South America, at least northern Brazil part of South America, which sounds like a really wide area, but back then Europe was squished down closer to Africa, and obviously South America was back over by Africa too, so it wasn't that wide of a range that it was traveling through. The authors also pointed out that in previous papers, it's been suggested that northeastern Brazil may have been separated from the rest of South America while it was still connected to Africa around that time, which is something I don't think I've ever read about before. Yeah, same. But they found basically these inlets of ocean. So we see like tons of ammonites across Brazil from the period of about 110 million years ago that kind of isolates potentially this area where a Tapoosaurus was. And yeah, it's pretty weird. But they said another possibility is that it was separated from both Africa and the rest of South America. So maybe this little slice of northern Brazil was off on its own, evolving separately. Or maybe there were still some connections. It's really hard to tell, especially on the million years time scale, because there could have just been a few thousand years in there where they connected and then everything intermingled again. But either way, it was probably about 10 million years before the final South America-Africa split. So there was definitely still some back and forth happening around this time, plus or minus a few million years. <laughs> 
Titanosaurs and diplodocoids have been found in the Alcantara Formation, which is where Etapoasaurus is from, but they haven't been named other than some Malawisaurus teeth, and you might recognize Malawisaurus is named from Malawi. <laughs> That's definitely another African sauropod. So we're seeing this slice of South America that does look like a lot like the African fauna at the time. The closest diplodocoid geographically today is probably Amazonsaurus. You can guess where that one's from. The company? No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no it's from the Amazon rainforest. <laughs> but <laughs> Amazonsaurus may have been significantly earlier than Nigerosaurus and Etapoasaurus, which I'm guessing is why it didn't come out as close in the phylogenetics, or if it was separated by this inter-Brazil ocean, then obviously that's going to make a difference too. I also really liked one thing the authors said in their conclusion, which was, quote, by now, it seems clear that Rabakisaurids outnumbered titanosaurs in the early late Cretaceous in northern South America right before the steep decline of Rabakisauridae, end quote. So I always think of titanosaurs as like the South American sauropods, but they're pointing out that really all the way up into the beginning of the late Cretaceous, which is the very end of the dinosaurs, still diplodocoids, including Rabakisaurids, were dominating the ecosystem. But since titanosaurs rose up in the late Cretaceous, you could say that they won. <laughs> you could. They were holding the potato at the end of the game of hot potato mm -hmm. before the meteor hit. <laughs> <laughs> and baked it. Yeah. <laughs> nice and healthy. <laughs> so jumping over to the other side of the earth, we're going to China. And there's a paper by Wang Shuri and others published in Global Geology, and it's all about Fushanosaurus, or Fushanlong, if you read the Chinese version. I'm going to have a fun fact that talks about why these are always different, but <laughs> it's a new titanosauriform, which I might accidentally shorten to titanosaur during this news item. It's not technically correct, but titanosauriform is kind of a larger group that includes the real titanosaurs and other dinosaurs too. It was found in far northwest China, really, really far northwest, like almost as far northwest as you can go, over by the western end of Mongolia, getting near Kazakhstan and Russia. It's way out there. Usually we're talking about stuff on the eastern end much more often than on the western side. Its full name, its full official Latin name, I should say, is Fushanosaurus chitaiensis. And Fushanosaurus is after the Fushan Museum, where it's housed. And the species name is Chitaiensis because it was found in the Chitai area. Specifically, it was found near the Chitai General Temple, which is like kind of a little side note, I guess. That seems to have happened a few times in China where it was found near temples or old temples. Or... Yeah, that's true. And a lot of times, I mean, this is kind of a remote one, so there aren't a ton of things around, but I think the temple is one of the closer landmarks. Fushanosaurus is from the late Jurassic, making it about 150 to 160 million years ago. We think it's around the same time as Apatosaurus, Brontosaurus, and Brachiosaurus, at least when they were roaming the Morrison Formation thousands of miles away in the U.S. And they say that Fushanosaurus is the earliest titanosaur form found in Asia to date. And I'm assuming that my translation is right because this entire paper was written in Chinese. So mm. I had to translate it all. Well done. <laughs> we're, we're slowly slogging through learning Mandarin, but it's a very hard le language to learn. So I think that's the right translation of that. I'm not sure, though. 
they only found a single femur of Fushanosaurus. It wasn't nearly complete, though, so at least they have that going for it. That can tell you a lot. It can. It can tell you more than vertebrae, usually. It was about 180 centimeters long and 50 centimeters wide at the widest point, which makes it about 5 foot 11 <laughs> tall and about 1 foot 10 inches wide. It's a lot bigger than me. Yeah, taller than a lot of people. And they point out that the femur is relatively long and thick, even for a titanosauriform. But based on similar dinosaurs, they think that Fushanosaurus was about 30 meters or 98 feet long. But basing that on a single femur is pretty speculative. So definitely a grain of salt is in order. But if that measurement is accurate, it makes it pretty massive for the time. Morrison sauropods were roughly three quarters that size, I would say, based on most estimates. But there is a tendency for these estimates to shrink over time. So the Morrison finds that were from the late 1800s have had a lot longer to shrink (laughs) in estimates as we've gotten more accurate over time. But we don't know too much about this one because it was just the one femur. And it took me a long time to even translate that much about it. So (laughs) I think that's the most comprehensive English description that's ever been given of this dinosaur, as far as I could tell. A little pat on the back there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You have to listen to this show if you want to get the info on these obscure dinosaurs that nobody talks about. Some other dinosaur news in Paris, France, there's an artist, Julian Nonon, who used this embedded video projection system to project dinosaur holograms onto the sides of buildings. So they put them in the alleyways of Jardin d'Iclamation, and uh, I have not taken French since high school, so excuse the pronunciation, (laughs) but there were immersive installations and interactive live shows. So dinosaurs included T-Rex, Triceratops, Parasaurolophus, Velociraptor, and Brontosaurus, and the series is called Prehistoric Safari. I saw some video clips of the whole thing, which looked really cool. And you can see the holograms moving and fighting. And there's animatronic dinosaurs. And it looks like there's some ride elements because it looks like people were in kind of like what you would sit in at a carnival ride or something. And it's rocking a little bit. and You're watching these dinosaurs. Mm. Yeah. There's also a map to track all of his art around the city. So I have no idea how long this lasts, or maybe it's ended because this story came out in December, but <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it's still going on. It would it sounds really cool. Yeah, I thought the description of them as holograms was a little bit generous because it's more like projections. Yeah, just projections on walls and stuff. They're but some really pretty though and intricate. Yeah, and some of them were projected on buildings that have a sort of three-dimensional character to them. So like as it wrapped around the building, it would sort of make it look like its head was sticking out a little bit farther because it's on an interesting shape on the building. It is pretty cool. I like the art that they used that they projected. It's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Next we've got an inflatable costume story, which we don't talk about these too often, but this one was pretty good, so I had to mention. So in Ontario, Canada, there's these two boys, Owen and Ethan, and they welcomed their grandma Cheryl at the airport by dressing up in those T-Rex inflatable costumes because they wanted to scare her and also welcome her <laughs> when she came to visit. And Grandma Cheryl heard that they were going to do this, so she arrived at the airport dressed in her own T-Rex costume. <laughs> and it's a very cute video that shows the three of them jumping and hugging. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> And last, in Cerritos, California, on March 8th, there's going to be a performance of Dinosaur World, a brand new Dynomite adventure. <laughs> Dynomite. Yeah. 
And it's this kid-friendly interactive show about explorers who journey to the Jurassic and meet dinosaurs. And those dinosaurs include T-Rex, Triceratops, Giraffatitan, and Cygnosaur. So it's not just your usual spread. Nice. And we don't usually mention this, but we do put links to every news story that we have in our show notes on inodino.com. So if you want to see the pictures of the holograms or get in on those journal articles that I talked about earlier or anything, then you can go to our website and snag the links there. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And now onto our dinosaur of the day, Hypsabima, which was a request from Tyrant King via our Patreon and Discord, so thanks. Hypsabima was a hadrosauroid that lived in the late Cretaceous in what is now North Carolina and Missouri in the U.S., and it was an herbivore. It was estimated to have around 1,000 small teeth. These teeth were more serrated than other hadrosaurs, so it may have eaten tough vegetation. Hypsabima probably had a beak as well. There's two species, Hypsabima crassicata, and Hypsabima missouriensis. I wonder where missouriensis is from. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to guess. <laughs> There's a whole thing about that, which I'll get into in a moment. But Hypsabima crassicata is the type species, and that's estimated to be 49 feet or 15 meters long. And then Hypsabima missouriensis is slightly smaller. They're estimated to be about 14 tons, though some estimates had them weighing 17 to 20 tons. 
So Hypsobema is pretty large, and that may have been a pretty good defense against predators. Yeah, I'd say 50 feet long for a hadrosaur is pretty massive. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to make it to adulthood, but still. Yeah. So as I mentioned, the type species is Hypsobema crassicata, and that was described in 1869 by Edward Cope, and it was found in Sampson County, North Carolina. The genus name means high step, and that's because Cope thought that this dinosaur walked on its toes. They pretty much all did. No, but this was an early one, so. <laughs> and the species name means with a fat tail. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. So multiple specimens were found, though femur fragments were thought to be part of the syntype, were later found to have come from a tyrannosauroid that was similar to Dryptosaurus. Hypsobema missouriensis fossils were first found in 1942 at the Chronister Dinosaur Site near Glen Allen, Missouri. And these are the first dinosaur fossils found in the state, and actually the only ones found so far. The holotype of Hypsobema crassicata was found at the King James Marl Pits in North Carolina, and they found caudal vertebra, humerus, tibia, and metatarsal. Hypsobema probably lived near a large body of water, and the one found in Missouri was discovered by the Chronister family when they were digging a well, which they didn't end up using because there ended up not being enough water. <laughs> I'm glad they dug it, though. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the whole state of Missouri is glad because that led to the state dinosaur, but I'll get to that in a minute. So Hypsobema missouriensis was described in 1945 by Charles Whitney Gilmore and Dan R. Stewart. Stewart collected the fossils, and he was nicknamed Dinosaur Dan. And he told the Smithsonian about the find, who paid $50 for the bones. <laughs> that included 13 vertebrae from the tail. And that money apparently was used to buy a cow later. <laughs> and then a little after that, more fossils were found. It's really a win-win. Mm -hmm. So they dug a well. They didn't get any water, but they got a cow out of it. It was unclear when I was reading it who bought the cow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it's the people that sold the fossils. Right, but Stuart collected the fossils, so... Oh, maybe he got the cow? It was unclear to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. $50 is pretty good, too. That's well before the crazy days of big-budget dinosaur auctions. Oh, yeah. So Hypsobema was originally thought to be a sauropod because Gilmore thought it was either a hadrosaur or a sauropod and then decided that it couldn't be a hadrosaur because of the chevrons and the, quote, more elongate centra. And then a few decades later, excavations started again at the site. And that happened because geologist Bruce Stinchcomb purchased the property, and then in the late 1980s, there were test excavations. They also found fish, turtles, plants, and teeth from a Tyrannosauroidea dinosaur, as well as parts of the jaw and dental remains of Hypsobema missouriensis. Originally, Hypsobema missouriensis was called Neosaurus missouriensis, and then it was renamed later in 1945 by Gilmore and Stewart to Parasaurus missouriensis because it turns out the name Neosaurus was already the name for a synapsid. In 1979, Donald Baird and Jack Horner found that Parasaurus was actually a species of Hypsobema, so then they renamed it to Hypsobema missouriensis. Some people thought that Hypsobema missouriensis was dubious, and at least one scientist thinks that Parasaurus is still a valid genus and separate from Hypsobema. This is based on newer discoveries at the site where the holotype was found. The old debate of lumping and splitting. Is it different enough to get its own genus name, or should it just be lumped in and get a distinct species? Yes. <laughs> but I think at this point, there'd be a lot of people who want to see it stay as Hypsobema missouriensis because... Again, this is the only dinosaur that's been found in Missouri so far. 
because Missouri state soil is not great for preserving fossils. And actually one paleontologist, Guy Darrow, from St. Louis said that it was, quote, pretty much a miracle that dinosaurs have been found there. So because of all this, probably, uh, Hypsobema missouriensis became the official state dinosaur of Missouri in 2004. So if they change the name back to Parasaurus, then they're going to have to change their <laughs> official state dinosaur name too? I don't know how that works. There might be a petition to the ICZN then to just keep it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know how that would go. <laughs> But Missouri was the sixth state in the U.S. to have an official dinosaur. There was almost unanimous approval to make it the state dinosaur. Not a lot of competition. <laughs> yeah. So some Hypsobema missouriensis fossils are housed at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. And if you want to see Hypsobema missouriensis, you can go to the Bollinger County Museum of Natural History in Missouri. They have a full-size model. And the museum has said that since they had the official state dinosaur... That's tripled the number of their visitors. Wow. Pretty cool. Yeah. And our fun fact of the day came up after translating a bunch of that Fushanosaurus paper. There are about 22 titanosauriform sauropods that have been found in China to date, but reading their name in Chinese usually doesn't give you the official Latinized name. <laughs> so unlike kids growing up with the Roman alphabet who memorize names like Diplodocus. Or Diplodocus. Yeah, depending on how you want to pronounce it, which is the scientific name. It's not the same in Chinese most of the time. So of the 22 titanosauriform sauropods listed in the Shu Ri Wang et al. paper that described Fushanosaurus, there are only three that are the same in Latin and Mandarin. And I have to specify Mandarin because the other Chinese dialects are almost certainly different for all 22 of the dinosaurs. As a bonus fact, after Tian Shanosaurus was found and described in 1937, it took another 56 years to name another Titanosauriform <laughs> in China, which was in the early 90s, and then it took until 2000 to name another one. And then in the 2000s, there's been an average of one named every single year. Wow. So that gives you kind of an idea of how much dinosaur research has exploded in China. That makes sense. There's 22, 20 of them named in the last 20 years. Yeah. So for the question of why the pronunciation is so different, it mostly comes down to the fact that in Chinese, every titanosaur in the list ends in the character long, which translates to dragon. The early discoveries, basically the four that are before 2003, all translate long to saurus. But for later dinosaurs like Gobi Titan, they change the ending slightly to Ju Long, which literally translates to something like giant dragon, but obviously they use it to mean Titan. And they're really consistent with that. When they want to name something something Titan in the Latinized version, they always use Ju Long. But finally, in the last 10 years, it gets even more complicated because when they just use long, a lot of times, rather than translating it, they just transliterate it, which means they just write out L-O-N-G in the Latinized version, which I'm guessing probably has something to do with the fact that people love it when dinosaurs end in soar, but also that it might not be clear that you could use a Chinese word as part of a dinosaur name rather than using a Greek or Latin one like people usually do. But there are a total of three... <laughs> of these 22 that were transliterated too long, so the pronunciation is the same as if you read it in Mandarin. But for the other 19, not so much. 
And unfortunately, several of the recent finds still have the name Saurus at the end, even though it's just long. That's confusing. It's really confusing. And there's literally no way you would know if you're reading it in Mandarin what the official scientific Latinized name was. Fortunately for readers of English, as far as the ICZN or International Code of Zoological Nomenclature is concerned, the Latinized name is the only one that matters. It's the scientific official name. So when they write the name out in Chinese and it has long in it, even though they write Saurus in English, the one with Saurus is the correct one. And all of the papers, even those published nearly entirely in Chinese, always translate the dinosaur names into a Latinized version because that's required when you're naming a new dinosaur to be recognized internationally. So you can always look at these papers and it'll be like the one that's Fushanosaurus, just a wall of Chinese characters. And then there's just this little thing on it that says like Fushanosaurus (laughs) in the Roman alphabet because it has to be in there to technically be accepted. It's kind of weird. I do have a guess at why they picked Fushanosaurus over Fushan Titan or Fushan Long, though, and I think that might be because it was found in the same area of Tianshanosaurus, which was that one found way back in 1937, so I think they might have wanted to show that similarity. And in addition to that, they gave both of the dinosaurs the same species name, which is that Chitiensis. One final aside, in case you ever find yourself reading Chinese journal papers, they write their genus and species in the reverse of how we write them in English, but also in the reverse of how you'd expect it from Chinese grammar, which basically they write chi tai fushan long instead of writing fushanosaurus chi taiensis. So they do the chi tai part first. And it's weird for Chinese grammar too, because usually you start with the more general thing and then do the more specific. So that's why they do the family name first and then the given name, because You're starting from the more broad. They do the same thing with dates and everything. But for some reason, when you're talking about binomial nomenclature, they stick the species name first. It's confusing. But fortunately for us, if you stick with the Latinized version, it's correct and you don't really have to worry about it. So that's some good tips if you ever find yourself reading Chinese scientific papers. Yeah. Although you could make it easier on yourself and just listen to Garrett. It's true. (laughs) And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. And consider joining our growing community on Patreon, patreon.com slash Thanks again, and until next time.